Okay, welcome to another episode of the Dead 3 Coaching Podcast. I am your host, George Evian, and I'm super grateful and excited about today's next 40, 45 minutes or whatever we may have with our guest. Uh, so our second guest with the new, uh, the new podcast that we have out and the new branding that we've done um, with our Dead 3 Coaching Podcast. My old podcast was called Out From The Cube, and we had a number of guests uh, with that podcast. And one of them was Jamie Beckler, Coach Jamie Beckler, who was, uh, I consumed a fair amount of his content with my old podcast and continue to do that with the new podcast. But I reached out to him. I think we just kind of had a connection a little bit recently on LinkedIn. I was like, man, he's somebody I need to have on my podcast. And I wrote his name down with a list of 20 or 25 different people that I uh, wrote down at the start of the year. I was like, these are the 25 people I'd like to have on as guests with this new podcast. And coach Beckler was one of them. And so I get to scratch that name off the list of, of people that we, we have on. So, so I'm super excited about him being available, him having the time, him wanting to be on a, a relatively new podcast, even though we've done about 170 or so episodes in total. But with that, you know, there's a lot I want to get into today. I don't know where it's all going to take us and the conversation we'll have, but I know I really enjoyed our last conversation, uh, Coach, and um, really looking forward to the next 45 minutes. But first, just thank you for having the time, you know, not um, not wanting to, you know, wanting to be on a podcast that's just getting going and all that. And I, I, I really appreciate uh, you being available for this. Absolutely, George. Appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, you this new podcast is is, is pretty cool. Uh, some of the conversations and and the things that you've uh, thrown out there are, are awesome and what coaches and leaders need. And I enjoyed your last podcast as well. So happy to be on it again. Yeah, it's 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 been a while. And I I went through, you know, you sent off some notes to me, kind of this bio of what you do and 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 your background and all that. And I know a fair amount of it. We are similar in that we both coach college basketball. You coached at a higher level than I did. I was um, at the NAIA level in Michigan, and you, I think, bounced around some Division One schools, and then, and then you spent most of. Your, I want to say you, you live in Akron, correct? Is that right? That's where I live now. Yes, but most of the time was in the South when I was coaching. Okay, and where where in the South were you most of the time? Uh, mainly Tennessee, but I was also in South Carolina, Georgia, Texas. So you kind of made the round. So I want I wanted to start with just. You know, you have a lot going on. I, I wrote down six or seven things I'd love to get into, but I want to get into what I talked about in episode one. I know you probably haven't listened to my episode one. It was January 3rd, but I spent a fair amount of time talking about the new year and, and how I wanted to frame my new year and what I wanted out of the new year and how it was going to be different than 2023 and how I needed to organize better and how I needed to lead myself better and all that. And I know you're you know, your background is in leadership and coaching and development and motivations and things like that. But when your new year started, how, how do you frame your new year a certain way? Are there things you do every year or every quarter? Are there goals that you have for the new year? Or do you just kind of go for it? And it's just kind of programmed who you are. Did you frame your new year, uh, you know, a month and a half ago uh, differently? Know, you know, I don't frame it quite like everybody else does. Uh, certainly, I do have thoughts about, Hey, this year I want to accomplish stuff. Almost like, you know, my new diet starts every Monday, you know, I, Hey, Hey, on Monday, I'm going to start fresh. And then the next Sunday I'm like, all right, tomorrow <laughs> I'm going to start fresh. So, so from that aspect of being a human, yes, there, there's this, uh, uh, there's this tendency that we have to manufacture start dates and, and J January one is one of those. And I don't certainly begrudge anybody that has either new year mm -hmm. resolutions or frames their, you know, what their goals are or, or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that that's wrong whatsoever, but I do tend to take the approach more of today is the first day of the rest of your life or a year from now, you'll wish you started today, not mm -hmm. a year from now. You'll wish you started on January one or that you started on Monday. But a year from now, you'll wish you started today. So you can start. And, and this is this is a problem I have. And I'll admit this, you know, I should be sitting on a couch right now with you as my therapist. But one of the problems that I have is that I wait until everything is just right before I start something. You know, mm. a book, I have to have completely my outline and I have to know exactly where I'm going to go with this and all that. 
And what happens is we tend to do that with a lot of stuff. And so we shoot ourselves in the foot. We sabotage ourselves as opposed to just getting going, just create some momentum. Um, almost like as a basketball coach, we, we know these players, we've had these players that they're sitting on the bench and they're not going to cheer or do anything unless someone hits a three pointer or someone dives for a loose ball. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that create momentum. They create their own momentum. It doesn't matter if things haven't been going well. I'm going to be the spark plug. I'm going to I'm going to have that jolt of energy into the team and not wait and sit back and wait for something good to happen. I'm going to create something good. And so I kind of take that approach sometimes that even if it's not January one, uh, that I am going to start today. And I'm just going to get started with whatever it is. And I know John Wooden, you know, we all love John Wooden. And he talks about don't mistake activity for achievement. And I understand mm -hmm. that. But sometimes we just need to act. Sometimes we just need to go out there and just do something because we we hold ourselves back so often. But January 1 is a great time to have a reset. And, and pretty much any time you can artificially manufacture a reset in your mind, I say go do it. So. So like I went to the YMCA today and they were talking about uh, like March reset, you know, mm -hmm. March madness reset. And it's like, you can pretty much come up with anything, you know, four quarters in a year. Well, Hey, it's the start of the second quarter coming up, you right. know, or it's halftime or whatever, whatever it takes for you in your situation mm -hmm. to manufacture some momentum or to just get started going in a mm -hmm. direction that's positive. I say, do it. So, uh, that's that's interesting because I try to operate on on a on quarters. I go thirteen weeks, and I'm and I've got this, and I, I found a book actually, and I continue to plug it, although they don't give me any money. Is this full focus? <clears throat> excuse me, full focus planner. I love it. It's a thirteen week planner. I get one every quarter. I reset my goals and I you know and habits and things like that. How can somebody and and I. I say this because it was the first thing I said. I don't know where this conversation is going to take us, but I do have some bullet points here. So I, th this is my first pivot. How do, you, how do you create and sustain and stay locked in on that momentum then? How do you ride, like creating the momentum and then staying with it so now it's February 27th and I can still feel I'm reaching those goals that I had on January 3rd and I've continued to ride that momentum. How can, how can people continue to ride that, that momentum and keep it going? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult. And that's not what your audience wants to hear. That's what none of us wants right. to hear. I think it's difficult. And I think it takes time to develop the habits of being able to do that on a consistent basis. So if this is the first time your audience has ever heard of, you know, 13 weeks, you know, they're tuning in for the first time, 13 week quarters or that book you just mentioned, or, hey, we need to start now, whatever it is, whatever concept that they just heard for the first time, they may not be able to execute that perfectly right now. But the more times they try to execute it, the better they're going to get. So, so like who I am today in my 40s isn't who I was in my 20s or who I was in my teens. You, you, you establish habits and you work on things and you work on things and things eventually get a little bit easier for you. So when you talk about how do you keep that momentum going, oftentimes it's remembering what your why is or remembering what your purpose is or remembering what's important to you. And I have to constantly... Uh, uh, essentially slap myself around or pinch myself or just remind myself, have a little come to Jesus meeting, uh, a personal come to Jesus meeting of, okay, you're doing this today because you enjoy it, but you actually have to do this today. This needs to get accomplished. So whether it's a, a to-do list, whether it's a planner, whether it's just a little, your audience can't see this, but I'm holding up a note, uh, a little mm -hmm. post-it note, whether you're a post-it note type guy, this is my list of things I absolutely have to get done today. Hmm. Well, uh, for me, doing a post-it note keeps it from being way too long. Now, I know there's a lot of people that are like, well, well, you want to accomplish small things so you get momentum, so you get a sense of accomplishment. I get that, and that's fine. I, I, there's, you're not going to hear me say, don't do this. But for me, making a post-it note with just the five or four or five most important things that I have to do right now that keeps me on task. That keeps me focused on, all right, this is what I have to do today. And then tomorrow I can maybe do something, something else because what's my priority right now. Now that just because I have a post-it note doesn't mean it gets done. I've had years of almost a devil and an angel on each shoulder, yeah. 
you know, talking to me and be like, oh, you, well, you can, especially working from home. Oh, you can go have a longer lunch. Oh, you can go get a snack. Oh, hey, you know what? That bookshelf's out of place or you know what? That needs dusting or whatever. So I have these years of fighting, fighting amongst myself, you know, the devil and the angel of yeah. trying to stay on task. And, and it's easier now than it ever has been, but it doesn't mean it's easy. So the people listening to this, it's not an easy thing. But it's one of those things where you constantly have to remind yourself of what's most important to me. All right. What? Yes, I want to throw out an, a new post on Twitter or I want to work on some some cool uh, graphics. Well, maybe that needs to be put off a little bit because maybe what I really need to do is X, Y or Z today. Mm. And so it's going to be different for everybody in your audience, but they've got to constantly remind themselves of what's the most important thing that they need to do today. And, and it might be just, hey, I need to take a break. You know, I've been grinding. I've been working too hard. What's most important today is I take a break. Maybe I don't work a 12 hour day or a 10 hour day or an eight hour day, whatever it is in your situation. But but it's going to constantly be changing. And I know mm -hmm. that doesn't absolutely answer your question. Great. No, yeah. um, but you've got to constantly remind yourself what's most important. And just because it works for George doesn't mean it's going to work for Jamie. And just because it works for Jamie doesn't mean it's going to work for, you know, Jim mm -hmm. out in the audience. You know, we all have, there's a lot of people, just like there's a lot of players that we've coached that might not do things exactly the way someone else did it, but it works for them. So find something that works for you and, mm. and embrace that. Now, if you're doing something that's not working for you, well, then be coachable, be open to changing that, be open to adjusting. And that's where we struggle. I struggle. I'll be banging my head against the wall. You know, the insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting right. different results. Well, I'll be banging my head against the wall about something, but I'm not coachable. I'm not willing to change because that's the way I've always done it. We've got to be willing to say, you know what? Now maybe I need to look at something Jamie said or George said. But if something's working for you, man, embrace it. Go all in. Love that thing. You know, you don't have to change it if it's been working. But the problem is we keep doing stuff that hasn't really been working for us. Yeah. Um, now your background, I mean, cause you, you have me thinking about a bu bunch of things in there. You have you have me thinking the, the key words, I guess, for if people are taking notes that I took is, you know, confidence, consistency, you know, purpose, your why, and getting really getting absolute clarity on those things. The thing I, that continues to come into my mind that works for me, not, not to talk about what works for me in this, but to say what works for me is like, I like, I, I like the idea of creating momentum and then, and then having that be over time where I don't want to break a streak, right? Like, like my son, my son, uh, has been shooting the basketball every single day at five forty-five since August 1st, every day. And when he doesn't want to get up, when I wake him up at five 30, I'm like, Hey buddy, Let's keep with the momentum. You've done this every day. You've done it every day. We can't break the cycle. We got to keep, keep, keep grinding that sort of thing. And that gets him up because he doesn't want to break it. And it's similar kind of with, with me and the habits I'm trying to create to get to my next level is to build, to build that momentum to your point, earlier point, creating action, creating action, and then being consistent with it and being confident with it and all that. I'm, 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 you had, you had me thinking now about, coachability and you have me thinking about the elite person and how the elite person can or can't be coachable and for whatever reason this popped into my mind you were at Kent State University and I think maybe your last year at Kent State you were really good I want to say in 98 you were really good and then Gary Waters left and and Stan Heath staff came in and they were really good with players you had right is that am I thinking about this right <laughs> It's in the same ballpark. Uh, the timeline, even I get fuzzy on the timeline. I was there for Gary Waters' first two years. Okay. And 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 the story goes, I came in for kind of my interview with Gary Waters. I was his first GA, or I was a GA his first two years. And he says, now, Jamie, we're not going to be very good these first two years, but that third year after you're gone, we're going to be really good. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's a great selling point. I mean, right. you know, you leave and I leave and now you're going to get good. But he said, but what you're going to do is you're going to see exactly how to build a program. You're going to see exactly what it takes to go from the bottom to the top. And you know what? He Perfect. was right. 
we, I got to see that. And then when I left that third year, or I left previous to that third year, they went to the NCAA, they won the conference right. championship. They went to the NCAA tournament, beat Indiana. Well, they continue, they had uh, maybe one or two more really, really pretty good years. And then he left for Rutgers. Stan Heath came right. in, took essentially that same exact team and went to the elite eight, just, yeah. just cashed in on it. But, um, you know, the interesting thing is I think they were, when Stan Heath came in, they were three and three or four and four. And the players were, I mean, it was close to a mutiny because it yeah. was like, Hey, we had been really good with Gary waters. And now this new guy comes in and we're losing. Yeah. And, uh, um, essentially Gary waters in a way he, he had talked to a couple of players and reminded them that, Hey, coach Heath is your coach right now. Coach Heath knows what he's doing. Hey, you're mm. you're you're spoiling this legacy if if you keep holding on to well, this is the way Coach Waters did it. Wow. No, this is the program now, and and you've got to be coachable. Mm. Uh, as, as you mentioned that word, you've got your elite level athletes. You're an elite team, and you've got to be coachable. And and they went and won like 25 straight. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and certainly it wasn't all Coach Waters, but Coach Waters was definitely a great motivator. But but it's important, all of us, no matter what level we're at and what what position or status we have to be coachable. And, yeah. and a lot of us are not coachable, uh, especially mm. especially if we, we, we've been really good or we're at an elite level because we hold on to, well, I don't need to change. Well, it doesn't mean you need to change and pivot, but it might need to mean that you need to adjust and adapt a little bit. You mm. might need to expand your horizons, expand your point of view or perspective a little bit. Um, and that was that Kent State team. You know, they they were used to doing things one way and had success. Well, they had the ability and the talents to adjust to this new coaching staff. You know, maybe yeah. they're running a new play. Well, it still fit their talent. They just had to adjust their mindset a little bit and adjust some of the ways they were doing things so that this coach could come in and take them to an, a, a higher level even than they were. Yeah, so that's – that's there's so much there, and I want to make sure I get back to the main point. But it it is really – because I, I my closest friend at the time, and this is back in 98, 99, somewhere around there, right – uh, my closest friend, we were in each other's weddings. He was on staff. He was the first hire of Stan Heath. So I was actually there a little bit. And I wouldn't say a lot or anything like that, but I was went to Lexington and saw him play and all that. But it was the less, the, the thing to unpack there, there's two things to unpack and I'm going to ask them both, but we'll just hit on bullet point. Number one, when Gary Waters sits there and tells you or suggests to you, Hey, like you're going to learn how to build something from the bottom to the top. And they did it. And they did it. And it took that three or four years of personnel, of, of skill, of buy-in, of leadership, like all these different things, right? And because they got there, essentially his team made it to the final eight. But then it, the, the second part to the question would be, how do you get that group to go from, well, this isn't the way we do it. We've never done it this way. And we've got new leadership, new language, new ways of working. This other stuff used to work. And they have a chance to be elite. And they ended up being elite. Right. But there, there was that change, but let's go back to the first question. What did you learn from Gary waters to take oh. a program that was at the bottom to then how to build a program, how to build a team, how to build an organization that, you know, we talk about professionally and we, I definitely put basketball and sports spins on everything, but it's this idea of we're a five and 25 organization and that's where we are. But how do we become 28 and three? What do we need to do? to make that transformation. But you saw it in the athletic world, which I'm sure you now carry with you as a speaker and a leadership expert to the organizations that, that you have as clients. How, what did you learn there that you carry with you? Well, first of all, Gary Waters had, had not necessarily done it as a head coach, but he had done it as an assistant coach. He had been a part of a couple of rebuilding processes and seen how it was done. And, and when he got the head coaching job, he had just come from Eastern Michigan where, where they had had a nice little run, uh, I think they had beaten Duke uh, or had taken Duke right down to the wire in the NCAA tournament. So so he had seen a program get built. He had a large part in in that as well as the associate head coach. But he had kind of seen it done. But he knew where he wanted to end up. Like he he was almost playing chess or he was reverse engineering. I He knew where he wanted to get. He knew what it would look like. And then he worked his way backwards to find the right people to put around him, whether that was staff or the players. 
and 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 but he was consistent every day in reinforcing the message uh we still had uh i saw on facebook the other day that that some of the guys were talking some of the guys from that team and they were throwing out a quote or or kind of uh first class uptown all the way first class uptown all the way now if someone says that it really only matters if you were on the kent state teams like you understand what that meant, but these guys, you know, all these years later, we're still talking about that um, first class uptown all the way. And, and, you know, and there was other things too, but, yeah. but every day Gary Waters was being consistent about reinforcing how they were going, where they wanted to get to, but how they were going to do it. And he didn't accept mediocrity. He didn't accept excuses. Um, and that started with the recruiting when he was on the phone with those moms, with those grandmas, you know, he was letting them know how he was going to help Ray Sean, how he was going to help Eric, how he was going to help whoever. And, and he was exact. And then they they trusted him. And then once those kids got on campus, he he solidified that trust. It was like, OK, well, he didn't just talk a big game in recruiting, you know, and then he forgot about him once he got on campus. He he backed all that up. But the other thing is there's a forgotten group of people oftentimes. And that's the current players who are going to get replaced or the players that are not part of the future necessarily. Mm. There were some guys on that team during those two years that had a key part in the legacy of Kent state that never get mentioned because they weren't the studs that Gary waters recruited. They were the, the people that finished at the bottom of the previous group. Mm -hmm. um, but those guys bought in, I shouldn't even say bought in, but they, took ownership in the fact that, Hey, we can have a legacy. Hey, we can, you know, Ed Norvell, Ed Norvell was, was a star player for the, for the bad Kent, Kent state teams. Mm -hmm. Well, Ed Norvell took it personal, what that future was going to be. Hey, if, if after I'm gone, if this Kent state team is good, it's because I had a part in helping Andrew Mitchell, or I had a part in helping, you know, fill in the blank, these other guys. If I do my job as an upper class leader, then my legacy is going to be the future teams, not necessarily the team I'm on. And sometimes we we forget about those kind of guys that, you know, you mentioned an organization, a five and 25 organization or a bad organization, but we want to be a good organization. Well, you still have some people that may not be as talented in that organization, but some people that might jump on board might take ownership because they want to be part of a winning team. They want to have a legacy. Mm. Um, but as a leader, and Gary Waters didn't shun those kids. Gary Waters didn't say, all right, well, there's you six over here and you seven over here that I recruited. No, you, you know, a DJ Bossy, a, a Ed Norvell, they might not be my recruits, but they are my players. And you have to treat them as your players, not just, well, you're mm. not, you're not my player. You're not my recruit. No, you might have your recruits, but once you start coaching, they're all your players. They're mm. all your, your employees. It doesn't matter where they came from, how they got there. We're all in this together. And that's one of the things Gary yeah. Waters did a good job of, of, Hey, we're all in this together and we're going into battle together. Mm. So I, I love this because it, like for those listening, yes, it's, definitely a, a sports story, right? Even if you're not in the sports world, but what I'm taking from this and the teams I work with professionally, my background is in basketball and athletics and sports, but I work with professional teams in the it world. Right. But what I'm the big takeaway, and I know, I know Gary Waters story and I know what he, what he did. I don't remember exactly how good Kent state was before he arrived, like that, the history, maybe the 10 years prior, 20 years prior, but I don't think it was good. I don't think it was great. Now he's been, we're talking about a program that now is 25 years removed from those runs and him and those kids and everybody you just mentioned, they still have that expectation and standard on something he built. The gentleman, the coach that's there now, I know that they are still living off of a legacy and the work that was put in by somebody 25 years ago. But the big takeaway from me with the teams I work with that I'll carry with me today in my notes is setting that vision of what this is going to look like and being optimistic about it, knowing you can get there, knowing you're five and 25 as a software team or a car sales team or whatever it is and saying, yes, this is where we are painting reality as a leader, but also sitting there saying, man, this is going to be exciting because I know we are 25 and five in three or four years. But 
So I guess my question on all that, I mean, that's my big takeaway is setting that vision, being consistent with the message, like you're saying, getting the right, getting elite people on board that will buy in. But is it hard to sell people on that vision when they know they won't be there to get the the prize at the end, right? You're selling these people that are important, but you're still five and 25. And now you're seven and 24, 21. And yeah, this is all good, coach. I get it. This is fun. And I think you're going to be really good, but I'm not going to be here when you're really good. And that's, is that, that, is that, is that a different sell? And is that harder on those kids? Cause I mean, that would be a hard thing. Like, Hey, or is it hard to talk about the future so much? Like, Hey, Jamie, I know like you're important to this. We're going to be really good, but it's going to be when you're gone. I'm sorry. You know, that sort of mindset. Is that a harder sell? Well, I bought into it, uh, but it's easier for me as a GA than it is you as a uh, the starting point guard or the starting post player who's no longer going to be starting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a lot harder in that aspect. But here's the thing is it's not easy to do as a leader, as a coach, but it's easier if you treat those people like they have value, like they have significance. If you catch them being good, if you praise them, if, if your actions align with your words. So for instance, and I, I will talk about it from a, a basketball standpoint, but this could easily be an employer employee relationship. If I'm talking about the team, the team, the team all the time, but then I don't praise George when he sets the screen that allows, you know, Steph Curry to hit the game winning shot. If all I'm talking about to the media is Steph Curry's shot, if I'm high-fiving him in the locker room, if that's the first person I'm mentioning in the locker room, the players start to see that, that, that I am no different than any other super fan. Now let's flip it around just a little bit and make it even easier to understand. If I'm talking to the media or if when I come into the locker room, I'm like, George, that was an amazing screen or that charge you took with six seconds to go that even allowed us to have the ball back. That's exactly what we're looking for. That's the type of stuff that helps all of us win games. That's the type of stuff that helps Steph get open for a shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or when you start talking like that, now all of a sudden George is sitting there and his teammates are sitting there saying, you know what? Coach is saying exactly. He's, 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 walking the walk, talking the talk, like he's talking team all the time. And he's pointing out when we do these little things, because we're trying to sacrifice for the good of the team. When you talk about, you know, and and specifically, I mean, your audience doesn't really care, but Ed Norvell, I love to talk about Ed Norvell whenever we can, this great guard out of Detroit, who was a, a leading scorer, the starting point guard for those Kent state teams before Gary Waters got there. Ed Norvell was an amazing leader on that team because he took those younger guys who were cutting into some of his playing time. He took them under his wing and he was more concerned about the team than he was his individual stats. He Mm -hmm. wanted that legacy to be, this team is going to be great one day because I did my job and, and I did what I could do to make this team great. He took ownership in it. Now that took a lot of conversations from not only coach waters, the leader, but also the, the staff, the assistant coaches. And that's an important part is to get people on board that also share that same vision that it's Mm -hmm. not just, well, this is, this is coach waters vision. I don't really think we can get there or I don't necessarily agree with everything he's doing, but that's what he wants to do. No, you get people on board that are going to own that as well. And then all of a sudden you're spreading out the work, you're spreading out the responsibilities. Now, kids are hearing that from more than just the leader, the top dog. They're hearing it from other people as well. And it it just becomes an everyday thing. You just every day have to keep reinforcing what that vision is. And you know what? We take a step back. We lose a game or you know what? We don't, we have a bad practice. That's all right. We're going to pick ourselves up and tomorrow we're going to be even better because we're going to learn from that. Uh, One step backwards, two steps forward. You know, we're not just going to take another step forward. We're not just going to get back to where we were. No, we're going to learn from this and be actually better. And so we're going to leapfrog where we were going into yesterday's bad practice. We're going to be better for it. But it's a constant. You've got to commit to that. And the last thing I'll say is at no point have you heard me mention that the coach, Gary Waters, was this amazing X's and O's guy. Like he was, you know, everybody was clamoring for his Mm. plays. 
Gary Waters was a smart coach. Gary Waters had good plays, but Gary Waters did not turn that program around because he was the smartest person. He was mm. very smart, but he turned that program around because he was a believer. He was an overbeliever in those kids. He believed in each one of them and what their strengths were, and he maximized their strengths. It wasn't because, man, he put together the best game plans in the world. He put people around him. He had assistant coaches that were great game planners. Gary Waters was an amazing believer in people and got them to believe in each other. And that is so mm. much more important than the intellect. That's so much more important than the, the TPS reports and the, yeah, the right. strategic reports and all these things that everyone thinks are important. No, he believed in his people and got them to believe in themselves. And that was so much more important than, than just the X's and O's and the strategy. Man, that's a, that's a huge point. That, that's really, uh, there's a, there's a lot that we could talk about. We only have probably 15 or so minutes left. And I feel like I, I know we could easily talk for two hours on this stuff uh, because there's so many lessons in there. It's not basketball, but it's this idea. Cause I've, I've had this conversation with people recently about, you know, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't know that deep enough. I don't know. They were like, time out. Like you don't need to know all that. Like, is it important? Yes. Like, do you need a knowledge base and a foundation? Absolutely. But the leadership, the language, the vision, the believing, that is, that is, that is the gold right there to really building an elite team. So when you, in, in your bio and some of the stuff that you talk about, you know, it's definitely the word that gets thrown a lot around a lot is culture, right? And building this culture. And it's a word I use a lot, like the environment, the feel, the culture, the language, the communication, like all that plays into it is are, are the things you're talking about, like the, the vision, like what are, what other things when you go speak or when you go evaluate organizations and teams um, and you're, and you're brought into maybe give an opinion on culture. Is it, are, are these the things you're talking about? What are top of mind things that you see that teams need to be aware of when building a culture? And I'm, the thing I'm thinking most about right now is vision and believing the things you're talking about are those uh, i'm sure those things are part but what what else is out there that you see that you end up speaking a lot about when people are building that team that environment that culture yeah 100 percent. you have to have that vision in terms of you've got to know what you want to be known as or you got to know where you want to even go what what do we want to be about so you've got to have that vision of where you want to end up and then reverse engineer that work backwards on that we know where we want to end up. Now we got to figure out the steps to get us ourselves closer to that. Mm, that's but great. then you got to be committed to that day in and day out. That's what yeah. we say is most important. But here's the thing. Every single, here's a couple, I'm going to give you a couple bullet points yeah. and we can go from there if you want. But a couple bullet points is one, you've got to have that vision first. Number two, everybody has a culture, whether you like that culture or not, whether you're even aware of it or not, every single business Every team has a culture. It might not be what you want it to be, but it's what you allow it to be. Mm, you allow big. whatever culture is in your program, unless you just took over, that culture is what you've allowed or promoted or permitted uh, the way based upon how people act, behave, how they go about their, their tasks and responsibilities, how you build that team. So, so your, your culture, I would almost say, is intentional. It's either intentionally something you're trying to build or intentionally something you're choosing to do over the culture that you want. For instance, oftentimes we'll say, well, I didn't want my culture to look like this or I don't want a culture of people, you know, just kind of showing up late or whatever. Well, you mm. allowed that. And then someone might say, the leader might say, well, I didn't allow, I don't want that to happen. Yeah, but you looked the other way or you didn't hold people accountable you chose to, to be friends with somebody over something else, or you chose this over. We're always choosing. We're always making choices when it comes to our culture. And those might be small choices, but it builds habits. So the culture we have is what essentially we've allowed. So we have to fight for our culture daily. We have to fight for whatever that culture is that we want. But most of the time, we talk a big game as coaches or as leaders managers, supervisors, whatever. We talk a big game, but our actions betray our words. We talk this big game. And I used to say culture is what we emphasize. I've mm -hmm. stopped saying that because we emphasize a lot of things. We say a lot of things. It's what we do. It's what, you know, whatever, wh whatever we do is what we believe. Everything else is just talk. 
And I like to say also that that how we do anything is how we do everything. And now that's not original to me, but I truly believe that how I interact with George, let's say we're a basketball team, how I interact with George, you know, when he's getting on the bus, when he's passing me in the hallway, that means as much as what I do between the lines when we get on court for practice. I have so many coaches that'll be like, Hey, Jamie, you know, give me, give me some great team building activities. Mm -hmm. And I understand why they, they ask that. And I, I'm not against team building activities, but that team building activity you did on a Saturday back in August doesn't mean as much as the way I interact with George or my other players 365 days of the year or the other right. 364 days. The way I interact, what I do on a daily basis means more for team building than that one activity I did to check off a box. Mm -hmm. How you do anything is how you do everything. And a lot of us as leaders we don't intentionally fight for our culture daily with an eye on the future, with an eye on the vision of where we want to end up. We get bogged down in the minutia of every day. We've got to intentionally fight for our culture daily. And, and it's going to be what we allow, what we permit, what we reinforce. You know, mm -hmm. if I want George to set a screen the right way, or if I want George to fill out that paperwork in a business and, and I'm treating it, this is, this is a problem with a lot of us. When you hand in a form, or you do something you're supposed to do, I don't praise you or encourage you to do that right next time. Mm. And I was the same way as a coach. Why should I, why should I praise George for blocking out? That's what he's supposed to do. Well, because we're going to get what we praise. We're going to get what we mm. reinforce. If I want him to do some minute, my, you know, mundane task, then I need to praise him for that. And I need to publicly recognize that. Now, you're not going to do it every single time, but you better do it often because that's going to encourage him. That's going to inspire him to do that more often. Mm -hmm. uh, the same way, you know, I'm supposed to pick up my socks at home. You know, my wife has told me the floor is not an extra shelf. Pick up your clothes. Well, that's what right. I'm supposed to do. But it's still nice when she puts her hand on my shoulder and says, thank you for doing that. Even though I'm supposed to do that, it's just nice right. when she says it and it inspires me to do it more often. Um, that, we need to find ways to inspire our people to do what they're supposed to do, not just sit back and say, well, they should be self-motivated. We, we shouldn't live in the, wor the world of should. Hmm. I th it's interesting that you say that. So I'm going to make sure to listen when I, when I do listen back to this, the idea of, of what you emphasize. I've used, I've used that a lot and continue to use it. And you, and you mentioned that you don't use it as much or don't say it much at all. Right. But you, your culture is what you emphasize. You get what you emphasize. And I couple that with, you get what you tolerate. Right. So the idea of, of, mm -hmm. of your, uh, your culture, you know, if you're not doing anything to how, how much of your culture is built on the bullet points of values. Right. And I've, I've spent a fair amount of time really thinking about that recently. Like, like our values, I'm, I'm involved with a, a basketball program here locally, and it's, it's been as enjoyable a basketball experience as I've had. We've built it on uh, an acronym, right, um, of, of West. And, you know, the W is work and, and, and a, a willingness to uh, win. And then we have energy and enthusiasm and encouragement, and we have service and sacrifice, and we have toughness and togetherness. And, and those are the values, right? But what I'm learning when we kind of instilled these values and we continue to talk about those values and we don't tolerate anything outside when you're, when you're different from those values or not living up to those values. But what I'm finding is those values now are something that our culture can cling to and kind of align with, right? Is, is that a fair way for me to kind of think about that as we build, build a team, as we build a culture and an environment that we can kind of adhere to values and bullet points of, of those words? Well, you definitely want to know what you, what's important to you. What are we about here? So, so mm -hmm. whatever that is, that's going to look differently. One of the, the, I don't know if it's a mistake, but one of the things we cling to with the values thing is that we sometimes, and I'm the same way. I love acronyms. I love boiling things down. Yeah. But the problem is sometimes is that there's so many different great values out there that what we might be able to do, what we sometimes do is put too much emphasis on these specific values, which maybe fall under an even greater umbrella. Mm. Um, so, so for instance, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't have a great, for instance, I know that's a terrible answer for a podcast, but sometimes <laughs> we will, sometimes we will, we will say, all right, we will identify these three or four values. This is what right. we're going to be about specifically. Well, what if somebody is doing something really good in another area? Yeah, right. But that doesn't fall into these values or maybe these values, maybe two of them actually go into a greater value. Um, so, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all, because yeah. you do want to hang your hat on something. Mm -hmm. What I would say even more important than anything I just said, as I rambled through that, what I would say is even more important is making sure that it's not George's values, making sure it's not the head coach's values. It needs to be our values it, in mm. a business. It needs to be our values, not just the CEO's values, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get ownership. Rather than, and this, this, I don't mean to make this controversial and I still use this phrase that I'm about to use, but we, our goal should be to get ownership, have, have hundred percent ownership and be all in with the ownership rather than buy-in. And I know, I know you've used the phrase buy-in. No, no, I no, use no, the phrase buy-in. We love the phrase buy-in. It's not a bad phrase, no, That's a good. but pivot. sometimes with buy-in, Buy-in implies that we're trying to convince people to agree with what we're saying. Essentially, mm -hmm. I want George to buy in. I want George to agree with me. I want George to be persuaded or convinced as to what I'm saying. It's just a slight shift in the frame of mind or framework that we're using. The yeah. more that as a leader or a coach, we can say, you know what? I'm not trying to convince them that my way is best. I'm trying to get That's them big. to take ownership and invest in the, both the process and the results. And the only way I can do that is if they feel like that decision, that choice was theirs, that we're mm. all in this together, win or lose, because we've invested in the process along the way. It's just, it's a fine line. Yeah. And, and, and if you use buy-in, and I think I've used buy-in already twice in this interview. If you use that word or that phrase, it doesn't mean you're bad. I, I, I don't disagree with you. but. A next step, you know, if you want to go to an elite level step in your yeah. framework, in your in your frame of mind, is is frame it. We're trying to get more ownership out of our people. So those four values, those core values, the more it can be, these are our values, not just they're agreeing that these are good values, but can they come up with those? Yeah. So so even you know you meet with players. Or you meet with employees for evaluation meetings or, you know, your your quarterly review or whatever it is. Well, oftentimes you have a list of these are the things that they need to improve upon. Maybe it's an improvement plan. Maybe these are weaknesses they need to, to work on. If they can give you the weaknesses, if they can give you a suggestion for this is what I need to do, this is how I can improve, this is my plan, they're going to take much more ownership in that than if it's just George's plan. And it might be mm. the same exact thing that would have been said, but now it's their plan. They've spoken it out in the universe, so to speak. So the more you can get people taking ownership in whatever it is. So I, I talk a lot with athletes or coaches about how to develop leadership in some athletes. Well, one small way, all right, George is a freshman, doesn't play much. I want to develop George as a leader, not maybe as the Derek Jeter, Tim Tebow, Michael Jordan leader, but I just want to develop his leadership a little bit better. I might say, hey, George, will you go tell the guys that we're going to meet in the weight room instead of the locker room? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a small thing. And if, and if you are not successful in that, it's not going to change the course of the world. you yep. know. But it's some little thing. I'm tossing you a bone. I'm giving you a chance to be a verbal leader just in a small way. It's not a big deal. And it's not you puffing your chest out saying, I'm now the captain. It's just... Hey guys, we're coach said we're meeting in the, the weight room instead of the locker room. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. It's just a, a simple thing. Well, now though, I've now given you a little bit of responsibility, but now mm -hmm. think about George as that freshman. He's now taking a little bit of ownership because he's like, What what if all these guys don't make it into the weight room? Did I did I tell them the right way? Did I make sure everybody was in the locker room when I said that or on the court? You know, was everybody around, or maybe there was two guys getting their ankles taped and I forgot to go tell them where we were meeting. Mm -hmm. You now take it. There's now a chance that you take some ownership in the result because you've invested in the process. Yeah. That's a huge takeaway for me. Huge takeaway. And I have used the word buy-in a lot, a lot and continue to do so. 
But I have a friend that used to be on the old podcast quite uh, quite a bit, kind of a co-host for maybe 30 of my episodes. Great guy. And he always was talking to me about the words we use and that like the words you use as a leader, uh, as a coach are really important. So you got to give a lot of consideration to the language you're using. Um, and, and I haven't written a book. I don't have huge plans to write a book. I have a title for a book that I'd like to write, and it is The Language of Leadership. And if I were to ever write that book, that would be a chapter, right? That shift of using the word buy-in and pivoting that to ownership. Well, in in so the word, and I love that concept for a book, and I love what you're saying. I would even go further, and you mm-hmm. can make this a chapter, or or almost you start off with, yes, it's the words you use, but but the words that you use are in your mind before you use them. So, mm-hmm. and you're you're probably smarter about it. that than I am, right? Love it, but even if you're not throwing around the word ownership mm-hmm. or you're not even throwing around the word buy-in, you're thinking it. Why yeah, won't right. they buy in? Hey, if we can just get these kids to buy in or if we can, you're thinking it, you're not saying yeah. it, but you're thinking it. Well, then that dictates your actions. Uh-huh. Whereas in your mind, if you're using with yourself and your brain, yep. you know, you're using the word ownership, 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 then you're constantly finding ways. How can it be about we, us and ours? as opposed to, you know, me, mine, I, or even they, how many times as coaches do we say they, they did this, they did that, they did this, you know, or, or you're a player on the bench and the team lost. Yeah. They didn't play well today. No, we didn't play well today. Well, I didn't play. Well, no, it's we, we were part of that. And the more that you can start getting that action, whether it's a business or a sports team, the more you can get that 15th player on the team, you know, that's sitting on the bench, whose best friend is the water cooler and the athletic trainer. If they think of it in terms of these results, I'm a part of these results. This is a we thing, even though I didn't play. It's a we thing because I was invested in the process, but it starts with you as the leader cultivating that culture of we, not just saying it. We say it all the time, the team, the team, the team, but then our actions betray our words. Mm. So that, that's, that's good. So it, it, it is a mindset shift. It's the, it's the, it's the language you want to use, but it's how your mind is thinking about that. I've got to get to a point then with that in particular, where that's not even like, even in my thoughts, because then the thoughts, my actions will kind of be dictated by what I'm thinking, even if I'm saying something different, right? Even if I'm saying ownership, I, but I'm thinking buy-in, 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 right? I think that's a, it's a huge takeaway for me. Huge takeaway. I've got Five other bullet points here that I'd like to get into, but we've run out of time. Um, and I know you're a busy person and I appreciated uh, that you had some time in your schedule here. But quickly, and I know you, you've you mentioned this off, off, uh, off air before we pressed record about not plugging anything or you didn't feel a need to necessarily plug. But I do want, even for myself, so I could take notes here, like how many books have you written? How many books do you have out there right now? And, and, um, and, and go ahead, let me ask just that one question before I go to the other ones. I've written five books. Hopefully one day mm. I'll write a good book, uh, but, but we've put out five, we published five books. We got a sixth one coming out. That will be a, a softball book uh, or about a softball team with a couple players that have bad attitudes. Don't like their role on the team, which, which sounds like pretty much every team in America at mm. any sport level, but uh, we're writing that book right now. That'll come out this summer. Mm. And, and what are the title? I think you wrote a book called the bus. Um, you have the leadership playbook. What are, what are the other books that you have out? Yeah, our most recent book is called The Coach's Bulletin Board. And that's okay. a thousand or so thoughts, quotes, insights, either from me or from other people. And uh, it's it's uh, separated. I think we have 18 or 19 chapters based upon, you know, maybe there's a parent chapter. Maybe there's a, a player chapter. There's a teamwork chapter. So there's different chapters. And so they're split up based upon that. I have two fictional books right now. One is the captain, which is more devoted to coaches and captains. And then I have one called the bus trip, which is for anybody. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, uh, that's probably my favorite book that I've written. And then I have two other non-fictional books. Uh, one is, uh, building champions, 26 principles from A to Z. And then my very first book, which I think still holds up pretty well mm. is called the leadership playbook. Mm. 
And, and that's that's, that's just nonfiction uh, of our of our leadership philosophy. And one of the biggest things that sets me apart, I know I've said a couple things here that are maybe different, but one of the major things that sets me apart from other leadership people is I 100% believe that if your culture matters, then you've got to treat every athlete that you deal with, every individual as a leader because they are a leader. They have influence over others, even if it's just one person. Um, everybody is a leader and everyone can help or hurt your culture. And so we've got to stop focusing on only the three captains, only right. our, our three best players, because they can only go so far in changing and, or helping or hurting a culture. If you want your culture to be maximize its potential and be as good as possible, then you've got to treat everybody uh, as a leader and everybody as someone that matters. And you've got to train up all of them. And so the leadership playbook is, is essentially talking about to, to players, but also coaches about how everybody can be a leader. Man, that's great. And um, I'm going to get some of those books and add them to my reading list here. And um, le please let me know, or I'll just look on Amazon for when your new book, when will the new book be out? How it'll long be sometime, sometime this summer. Sometime this um, summer. Yeah. So it'll be after the softball season. Uh, so it'll be going into the summer and then, okay. uh, but they can find everything if they're on Twitter at coach Beckler or coachbeckler.com is my website that has everything. Okay. So I'll make sure in the show notes for everybody uh, that you have access to all uh, of coach Beckler's um, website, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, wherever, you know, wherever, uh, wherever he's at, I'm guessing those are the ways to get in touch with you. I really appreciate this. You know, it's the new podcast. Most people, uh, it's hard to get guests when you get something new going. Although, you know, we've done the old podcast and have a number of episodes up. You do a lot of this. You run your own podcast, correct? What's the name of your podcast? Success is a choice. Success is a choice. And we uh, put out about six episodes a week. There's uh, three, there's typically three interviews a week that we do. And then there's uh uh, three solo episodes where I talk for one to two minutes. So quick one really? to two minute hits. So three days a week, every other day, uh, we wow. do either an interview or a solo pod. Well, that's great. Good for you. And how long have you done that? About five years now. Five years. Well, good for you. Um, it is, it's, it's enjoyable. And the people you get to meet, I've seen some of the people that have been on your podcast and you have great uh guests on your podcast um you know in all all areas definitely uh sport related it seems but um i'm sure those are great conversations so i'll make sure all that's in the show notes coach beckler i really appreciate your time this uh, this has been when i go back through this and put my notes together um there's going to be a lot of takeaways even if you if, for those that are listening very sport oriented all of my episodes are but it's being able to take these this message these lessons and this narrative um, and then apply it to your teams professionally. Like I work in the software world. We build cancer radiation therapy for a global company. That's what we do. And there's every single thing that coach Beckler was talking about here are things that are relevant to our software teams and in building cancer radiation, how we can build our teams, how we can get better ownership, how we can, uh, you know, build confidence in our teams and how we can build a team that can be elite. Right. Um, and, and we have very good teams with what we do, but we can be better. And how can we do it? Um, great lessons here. So, coach, I really appreciate your time today. Appreciate you and your message and your content. And I appreciate you having time for us today. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, please reach out to Coach Beckler on all the social media channels. Reach out to me if you'd like to have a conversation about this. And we really do appreciate your time on this episode. Thank you.